thing that we have to do now. This is this is like a, a running, everybody's got that one running gag, and unfortunately, I think this might be ours. Is and it's mostly cut out. Click wars. Yeah. Yeah. People don't really know of the saga. Yeah. I don't really know of the saga. Oh, yeah. but I, I know of a Mumu. She has come and graced me with her presence. That's a cat. Oh. Miss Chong. Do you have anything to say? Nothing. She has nothing to say. Nope. A rarity for her. She knows she's on mic. Yeah, it's true. When she knows that she's being recorded in any capacity, she clams up like a smart little true crime listener. Yeah. That's right. We don't Speaking go on of. the record. Speaking of, that's Haley. Yep. That's Caitlin. I was going to say, you're just not going to introduce me? Okay, fine. No. Um, And this is Crime Culture. Hey. I don't know why I said it like that. This crime culture. It's fine. You know, it's it is what it is. Yeah. Oh, did we hear that? No. Oh, Mumu gave a little slight chortle. Hi, Queen. She's so Nothing. lovely. I love her so much. You know who I don't is she love gonna, so much? Oh, is go she, ahead. Yeah. Is she, is she gonna sit on your lap for the uh, the episode? Is she I gonna have anything to say? She's sitting right now. You can see her. She's she, and she is right in front of the mic. She is slow blinking. She's about to go dormant. Perfect. And we shall see. But if there are any sudden movements, probably not. All <laughs> she's right. she's one to flee the scene. Mimu, she does everything right. She is the safest woman. Good. She just she won't go to a second location. Never. She knows to Stays be aware house. of her surroundings exactly. Be aware of your surroundings. If somebody is screaming, get the fuck out of the way. If you have a gut feeling that there is danger, listen to that gut feeling. Get the fuck out of the way. If the doorbell rings, run away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No one should ever be ringing a doorbell if they if you the do same not expect instincts. them to come. If somebody is planning on, or not even planning, if somebody has started recording what you're saying, either in a video or on a podcast or what have you, Clam the fuck up so you don't say anything incriminating. She's nope. she's just she's a master class. Yeah. A mooster class. Is that you? See? She didn't answer. She Good. says, I do not recall. Well, what are we talking oh! about today? That was a moo moo. Um, so today we are going to talk about, for those who did not read the title, which is fine. Everybody loves a spoiler. Or you know what I mean? I'm moving on. What? <laughs> yep. I've got I've got a moo moo in my lap. I'm just focused on her and only her. Um, we were talking about Bernie Madoff. Oh, okay. Who orchestrated the largest Ponzi scheme in history and made off with ah. a lot of people's money. Oh my God. Look, the puns You're are already so welcome. Started. You're so welcome. They're no, already no, no. beginning. Today, we are recording this on my grandma's birthday. Hello. And hello, grandma. I love you so much. And allegedly... He may or may not, or his firm may or may not, have made off with some of her money as well. Oh, no. So this is a fuck you, Bernie made off. Happy birthday, Grandma episode. Okay. Happy birthday, Grandma. Fuck you, uh, Bernie. Yes. And before we get started, what is a Ponzi scheme, you ask? Um, because I know you did. What's a Ponzi scheme? No, you asked. You don't need to I repeat did. yourself. <laughs> so a Ponzi... I'm sorry. I didn't mean Marcia got really upset. Um... All right. She's like, you laughed. I don't feel safe. Um, 
A Ponzi scheme is named after Italian businessman Charles Ponzi, and it is a form of fraud that lures investors by convincing them that profits are coming from legitimate business activity, but in actuality, early investors are repaid with money acquired from later investors rather than from actual investments of income. And everybody but the scammers are left in the dark that other investors are actually the sources of these funds they are receiving. And if you want a perfect example of that, we did an episode on uh, Firefest. Yes, we did. <laughs> and yes, that yeah. is. That, yeah. was, that was an event Ponzi scheme. Yes. Um, and but, I think Ponzi schemes okay. have been, I think they've been in like the news recently. I think there was like somebody else that was caught with something, at least in like New York based news. I heard it on the radio. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, I don't I don't know, know any more Google. details than that because when the radio is on, it is my alarm clock in the morning. So I get mm. like barely any notification of what is happening in the world. <laughs> no, that is fine. Well, because if I were to Google it right now, because my Google search history is all fucked up, all that's going to come up is Bernie Madoff up. And there she yeah. goes. Farewell, my queen. So she doesn't want to hear this because I've been talking about it for nonstop. But mm-hmm. to get into this. Let's talk about the scammer of the hour. Bernard okay. Lawrence Bernie Madoff was born the second of three children in Queens, New York. Some sources said Brooklyn. I am unsure. Okay. But New York nonetheless. Up, yeah. Um, on April 29th, 1938, a day after my due date, for those who were concerned, I do not mean of my child, I mean of myself. Um, to, to Sylvia Nay Muntner and Ralph Madoff. Uh, Ralph worked as a plumber before entering the financial industry with Sylvia as a stockbroker, and together they founded Gibraltar Securities, which was ultimately forced to close by the Securities and Exchange Commission, or SEC, in 1963 for failing to file financial reports. Ooh. There was also some speculation. It's believed that um ralph basically like put everything in sylvia's name but sylvia was not like an active participant in this but then she got taken down because he had been like investigated by the irs so i guess he wasn't supposed to be like super involved with money i don't know there was a lot of yeah there was a lot of other speculative shit that i saw and i was like oh this is icky yeah it doesn't sound good nah so we are laying some groundwork So Bernie grew up in the predominantly Jewish neighborhood of Laurelton in Queens. And while attending Far Rockaway High School, he met a fellow student two years younger than him, Ruth Alpern, and the two began began dating. Mm -hmm. And after graduating in 1956, Madoff attended the University of Alabama for his freshman year, where he became a brother of the Tau chapter of the Sigma Alpha Mu, or is it Mu? I don't know. I wasn't Greek. I think it's Mu. Okay, I'll take it. Uh, But Sigma Alpha, insert here, fraternity. And then he transferred to Hofstra University in Hempstead, New York, for his remainder of his college career. Mm -hmm. And while he was attending college, he married Ruth on November 28th, 1959, a little over a year after she graduated from high school. And the following year, it was a different time, um, the following year, Bernie graduated from Hofstra with a Bachelor of Arts in Political Science. And Ruth, like her husband, also went into finance, working on Wall Street after earning a degree in psychology from Queens College City University of New York. Mm 
Meanwhile, Bernie briefly attended Brooklyn Law School after graduating from Hofstra, but left after his first year to co-found Bernard L. Madoff Investment Securities, LLC, with Ruth in 1960. All right. The couple also went on to have two sons, Mark, who was born on March 11th, 1964, and Andrew, who was born on April 8th, 1966. Mm-hmm. So at first, Bernie began to make a name for himself as a scrappy market maker using $5,000 that he had saved up from installing sprinklers, working as a lifeguard, just doing a lot of odd jobs mm-hmm. to trade penny stocks, which were very low priced shares that traded on the over the counter market, which was the predecessor to the NASDAQ exchange that we know mm-hmm. today. Um, that wouldn't be established until the following decade in February 1971. Mm-hmm. So he was below even the ground floor. Yeah. And Bernie recalled in 2007, quote, In those days, with over-the-counter stocks, there was no automation. So you would call a broker. The broker would call up any number of dealers like myself, and we would negotiate over the phone, end quote. Now, Diana Henriquez, a reporter for the New York Times and author of the book The Wizard of of Lies, Bernie Madoff and the Death of Trust, she explained, Great title. Great title. (laughs) Um, She explained, quote, Wall Street then was a very different world than it is now. It was a very what they call white shoe world. And then down below where small unlisted stocks traded it was really a free for all. Small firms could get started with a little stake, trade unlisted stocks of sometimes reputable, sometimes not such reputable quality and make a living at it if they had good instincts as traders, end quote. I'm going to be real honest throughout this episode. I don't really understand stocks. I'm going to be real honest, too. I don't either. I tried to put this in words and terms and everything that we all understand. But if you are more into the stonks. I understand the words you're saying, but I don't get how that, I don't get how it does anything. Does that make sense? Yes. So TLDR, he was trading small stocks. Yeah, yeah. So because he was a small firm, he could do small stocks. He could could start with just a little bit of money, like $5,000 down. He could trade stocks. The small stocks meant that they were sometimes legit, sometimes not legit. Sometimes okay. they were they were from shady companies and sometimes they were from like legitimate companies. Yeah. Um, and if you did that, you could still make a living at the time. Mm-hmm. It was different than the NASDAQ of today where it's like everything needs to have like a specific name. Like, for example, Petco is Wolf as I learned or Woof as I learned from my crossword puzzle this afternoon. Um, yeah. Like and everything's it, automated now. Like yes. before you were talking to like actual people, people and like yes. negotiating this type of stuff. Yes. Yeah. So Bernie later said in an extensive 2011 interview with New York Magazine journalist Steve Fishman that the simpler trades were at the time enough for him, telling him, quote, I was perfectly happy to take the crumbs, end quote. And he gave the example of a client who wanted to sell just eight bonds and a bigger firm would have been like, get the fuck out of here. But he was his firm. He was like, yeah, we'll do that Mm -hmm. because it wasn't a big payout for them. But he was like, but if I did enough of them. So he worked out with he worked out of Ruth's father. His his name is Saul Alpern. He was an accountant. He worked out of his accounting firm in Midtown Manhattan, and he got his start by persuading family, friends and others to invest with him. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not known exactly when Madoff started managing money for clients, but according to 
SEC documents. By 1962, he was managing investments channeled through his father-in-law and one of his father-in-law's partners, Frank Avellino. But when the, quote, Kennedy slide, as it's called, flash crash, took 20% off the market in 1962, like it just fucking dipped, Mm -hmm. Bernie's father-in-law had to bail him out. He kind of just got fucked. Yeah. This, yeah, and this left Bernie with a chip on his shoulder because he felt that he wasn't part of the Wall Street in crowd, later telling Fishman, quote, we were a small firm. We weren't a member of the New York Stock Exchange. It was very obvious, end quote. How many of these crimes have we talked about that literally just happened because of a man's fragile ego? Yeah. Um, yeah, pretty much all of them. Like, look at what's going on in Idaho right now. Apparently he was texting one of those, not even texting, sliding into one of his victim's DMs every morning, just being like, hey, what's up? Hey, what's up? Hey, what's up? So that's something, yeah. That's something fun that we get to be upset about I talked about a weird Instagram DM that I got on my, on our, uh, our Discord. Discord, yeah. Join our Discord. I talked about it with our, uh, our Patreon tier. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a weird weird fucking thing that happened. I still can't unsee that DM. Yeah. I think about that more than I should. Yeah, Um, but, I mean, sometimes when someone DMs you a lot, maybe you should, like, tell some people because some shady shit might go down. And maybe if you're a white guy with a fragile ego, get therapy. I don't know. Maybe. Just maybe perhaps. you should just all get therapy regardless. I, I agree. Because... I think we all should get therapy. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So according to PBS, Michael Beans, Beans, B-I-E-N-E-S, um, he Let's was an Beans, accountant. My cat's name is Bean. I like Bean. Um, but he was an accountant who started working at Alpern and Avellino in 1968 And he remembered Bernie, quote, took a few straight accounts from Saul's people in the beginning. And then he said to his father-in-law, no, I cannot handle small accounts like this. This is a pain in the neck and a pain in the butt, end quote. Well, it's pain everywhere then. Why do you got to? Yeah. 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 (laughs) Why do you got to do the specifications? Um, Beans then said that to make things easier, Alpern suggested that Bernie pool the small investors together. Alpern himself would then deal with the record keeping issues. So Beans explained, quote, Alpern gave Frank Avellino a piece and I got a piece when I became partner, end quote. And as Henriquez pointed out, quote, Madoff developed that investment advisory business at a time when the investment advisory business was far less regulated than it is now. Outside of the mutual fund world, which was regulated, investment advisors didn't operate in the kind of spotlight that they do today. So success finally did come to Bernie years later when he and his brother Peter began to build electronic trading capabilities, which Bernie would refer to as, quote, artificial intelligence, end quote. Okay. Um, This attracted a massive order flow and boosted the business by providing insights into what was going to happen in the market, what was happening now. You could make predictions and so on and so forth. And according to PBS, he later recalled in 2007, quote, in about 1971, computers showed up and were being used. So we saw, meaning my brother and myself, that there was an opportunity to bring automation into the -the over-the-counter marketplace and create some visibility and transparency in the marketplace, end quote. Hmm. He and four other Wall Street mainstays who were known as the, quote, big four, end quote, and their names are Carl Shapiro, Jeffrey Picower, Stanley Chase and Norm Levy processed half of the New York Stock Exchange's order flow. 
Oh. And controversially, Bernie paid for much of that. Mm. So by 1983, Avellino and Beans decided to go full time into just recruiting clients for um, Bernie. Like they got out of the rest of the ad, the the accounting business, and they were like, "We're making enough money just from recruiting clients for him now that he has this whole computer system going on mm-hmm. that." That's enough. And by the mid 80s, their cut of that was reaching several million dollars a year. Whoa. Yes. A their year. Cut. Yes. Also in 1983, Madoff was elected, or Bernie. I keep referring to him. I, there have been some slips through the cracks, obviously, but I try to keep referring to him as Bernie, unless it's like a quote or something, because there are so many Madoffs in this. Okay. In this. Um, but he was elected to the NASD Advisory Council, on which he served for four years. So by the time he was done with that, by the late 1980s, Bernie had made such a name for himself that he was making in the vicinity of $100 million a year, which Ooh. today is in the vicinity of $239 million, excuse me, $239,352,419.35 a year. Wow. That's a nice little a chunk of change. Lot. Yes. He told Fishman, quote, I had all these major banks coming down, entertaining me. It was a head trip, end quote. Over the years, he also often portrayed himself as one of the founders of the NASDAQ exchange, which has been questioned by many press outlets and kind of thrown away as just like a claim. Yeah, exactly. But Henriquez said, quote, he worked assiduously for the notion of an automated stock exchange, end quote, and that he would push regulators aka like nasdaq on this idea um she said quote he could see the way electronics were going to change things he continued to push for automated ways of trading and regulators heard that message because automated trading was cheaper not just for you and me as retail customers but for big pension funds for institutional investors who are responsible for government money and for institutional money Uh so whether or not he was a founder of NASDAQ remains to be seen, but he's the reason why computers got so into it. Like he got, like he really helped with the digitization and automation of that so that it wasn't yeah, just people and that, that you were able to manage more funds and that you were able to see further into the future. Yeah. So, but it is reasons like this that it's so puzzling as to why bernie began his ponzi scheme uh he later told fishman quote i had more than enough money to support any of my lifestyle and my family's lifestyle i didn't need to do this for that i don't know why end quote yeah because he saw no ceiling because he's a fragile little man fragile ego the legitimate sectors of his business were extremely lucrative, and he could have easily earned the respect of the Wall Street elite solely as a market maker and electronic trading pioneer. But yeah, to that it point, also sounded like he didn't really even have to work that much exactly. or that long for him to he make he had other people so fielding much. clients for him. He had other people going to get clients. Like yeah, he he was like he was working. I'm sure, but like he he was building an empire without needing to do that. Yeah. But to that point, it is also not known exactly when the Ponzi scheme began. Uh, Bernie later testified that it started in the early 1990s, but his account manager, Frank DiPascali, who had been working at the firm since 1975, said the fraud had been occurring, quote, for as long as I remember, end quote. 
Furthermore, there was a paper trail of victims' claims that went on to display the complexity and just size of the investors that he betrayed with documents indicating that the scam ran for more than five decades beginning in the 1960s. Oof. Yeah. So Bernie, the way that he went about this was he attracted investors by promising to generate large steady returns so whether the market was up or down he guaranteed like 10 percent of a return annually so okay mm-hmm. you invest in you invest 100 bucks you're gonna get an you're gonna get a 10 10 buck return like does that make sense yeah whether whether the market is up whether the market is down you're getting a return which yeah. typically when the market is up you get a return when the market is down you don't get a return So he said that he did this through an investing strategy called split strike conversion, which for what it's worth is a legitimate trading strategy. But so instead of investing his clients funds, how you would in like stocks, he put them into a single bank account containing the funds of existing and new investors, which he then used to pay existing clients who wanted to cash out. Mm hmm. So the scheme's longevity was made possible through what were, what are called feeder funds, which are management funds that would bundle money from other investors. And then they poured the pooled investments into Madoff securities for management and thereby it earned millions of dollars worth of fees. Mm-hmm. However, individual investors often had no idea that their money was just entrusted to Bernie. Yeah. So managing the feeder fund was, quote, easy peasy, Beans recalled, who even moved to Flor- Fort Lauderdale in 1987 in Florida to open up a second office. Mm-hmm. So as long as the feeder funds didn't collapse, they wouldn't have to worry about being unable to keep it up. Yeah. Let me repeat that. As long as the feeder funds didn't collapse... They wouldn't have to worry about being unable to keep it up. Yeah. That's a big if. (laughs) Specifically, to get clients, Bernie used his charm to target and cultivate close relationships with wealthy, influential businessmen in New York City, where he lived in a $7 million apartment on Manhattan's Upper East Side and even served as his building's chairman of the co-op board. I bet. Um, and then he also would find these clients in Palm Beach, Florida, where the Madoffs in 1994 purchased an 8,700 square foot little, little parcel of home for $3.8 million, which in today money is about $7,610,179.49. I can't afford a home. Yeah. And also who needs that, that much, much home. space? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's what are I'm you saying. running a, an orphanage? Like, no, they're running a Ponzi scheme. Yeah. <laughs> so, while in buying this house, there he joined the Palm Beach Country Club, where he searched for more targets of his scam. Mm-hmm. He then signed these businessmen on as investors, paid them these handsome returns, and then used their positive recommendations to other people to attract more investors. He also built up his reputation by developing relationships with financial regulators and created a front of respectability and generosity by doing a lot of charitable work 
Mm. um which we will get into one of the works um one of the organizations that he worked with was ellie Weissel's charity and for those who don't know um ellie Weissel is a holocaust survivor he's a he's an author his autobiography night is a beautiful book um but he that's the type of charity that he worked with like the ellie Weissel foundation for humanity uh-huh. and stuff like that um so oh actually here it is so he worked with and by that i mean defrauded a number of nonprofits, and some of them had their funds nearly wiped out including the ellie Weissel foundation for peace and the global women's charity hadassah women's zionist organization of america hmm. so he also used his friendship with an officer at manhattan's fifth avenue synagogue j ezra merkin to approach the congregants of the synagogue and ultimately swindled 2.4 billion dollars out of its members jesus yes so bernie further in in addition to being he seems like a a nice guy he seems like a trustworthy guy he also built up this reputation of exclusivity Um, He would often turn clients away in a very like Tom fucking Haverford from Parks and Rec entertainment 720 sort of move. Mm -hmm. So soon it became considered to be a mark of prestige to be admitted as a Madoff investor because he would just turn everybody away at first and be like, oh, I can't take you on. I have so many clients and they're so important and I can only take the most important. And as more people joined, their money was being used to fund payouts to existing investors, as well as fee payments to his firm and allegedly to his family and friends. Yes, he was relying on all of these people to keep his lifestyle going, pretty much. Yes, they were paying everybody's way. Yeah. And they didn't know it. Yeah. And as long as, again, as long as these feed funds stayed going feeder funds excuse me stayed going like he'd have money to pay these people out when they cash out yeah so bernie repeatedly claimed that he was not entirely to blame for this scheme telling fishman quote i just allowed myself to be talked into something and that's my fault i thought i could extricate myself after a period of time i thought it would be a very short period of time but i just couldn't end quote i'm sure yeah he never elaborated on exactly who it was that talked him into it um i am just going to leave this here though it is a fact that his scheme netted the big four hundreds of millions of dollars each yeah with bernie telling fishman quote everybody was greedy everybody wanted to go on and i just went along with it end quote Mm -hmm. And he indicated that the big four and others must have suspected that the returns he produced or at least should have at the very least saying, quote, how can you be making 15 or 18 percent when everyone is making less money? Yeah. End quote. So like, yeah, Bernie's apparently ultra high returns were enough for his clients to look the other way, whether or not they felt something fishy was going on. Um, what he would do is he would deposit their funds into an account at Chase Manhattan Bank, which merged to become J.P. Morgan Chase and Company in 2000. And then mm-hmm. he would just let them sit there. And according to one estimate, the bank may have made as much as $435 million in after-tax profit from those deposits. Mm. So the bank was even winning. So they're not going to question it. They're making money. Yeah. And 
like I said, clients would be like, okay, I want to redeem my investment. So Bernie would fund the payouts with new capital, which he attracted through this reputation for being a trustworthy dude and having unbelievable returns. And the business model allowed roughly half of his investors to cash out at a profit, and his returns were still high at 10 to 20% per annum. And that was consistent, but not out outrageous it was reasonable it was believable so nobody was going to question it and as the wall street journal reported in a now famous 1992 interview with bernie quote madoff insists the returns were really nothing special given that the standard and poor's 500 stock index generated an average annual return of 16.3 percent between november 1982 and november 1992 Mm. I would be surprised if anybody thought that matching the S&P over 10 years was anything outstanding, he says, end quote. Mm. Like, this dude is slippery. Yeah. So in 1990, Bernie's star as a Wall Street whiz continued to rise when he became chair of the NASDAQ, which stands for National Association of Securities Dealers and Automated Quotations, for a one-year term which a it's a position that he also served in in 1991 and in 1993 yeah 93 excuse me mm-hmm. and he would use this position to lobby washington to basically make shit easier for himself mm-hmm. like he he it was very calculated because then if you've got somebody first of all if you've got somebody like on the nasdaq who's chairing the nasdaq they're they're among those who are performing these checks and balances so they can check and balance themselves yeah but then he can also work his way up first it's chair of the nasdaq and then you're making your way onto the sec boards and things like that so that he can kind of you know you see what i'm saying like cover his tracks yeah it just seems like there's a conflict of interest somewhere in there yes however not everybody regarded him as a financial genius some skeptics concluded that this promised investment return again at least 10 percent annually in both up and down markets were not credible and they began questioning why the firm's auditor was a small storefront operation with only a few employees yeah so one of the earliest whistleblowers was financial analyst harry Markopolos, who i wish i was kidding it, his name is actually marco polos marco polo or maybe it's markopolis it could be Markopoulos. I'm not entirely positive, but I no, like Markopoulos. Markopoulos, yeah. Um, he figured out in one afternoon in 1999 that Bernie was lying. <laughs> um, his colleague, Frank Casey, who was the former vice president of marketing for Rampart Investment Management, he had heard about Bernie being like the bad boy of the stock market and went to Markopoulos and was like, this dude's generating incredible results and asked him to do some reverse engineering on the Madoff firm's trades so that they could get a piece of that pie. Oh, let's do what he's doing. Yeah. But when Markopoulos started crunching the numbers, he realized that based on what Bernie claimed he was investing in, the Madoff firm was claiming to be making money even when the S&P stock market index was falling, which made no mathematical sense. Yeah. So Casey told Frontline later on that Markopoulos' analogy was, quote, a baseball player would have to be hitting .925 straight for 10 years in a row. Would you bet on a player like that that he wasn't doing something illegal? End quote. Mm-hmm. 
So in May 2000, Markopoulos filed his first complaint to the Securities and Exchange Commission, submitting an eight-page memo outlining his concerns to its Boston office, but the regulator ignored him. Yeah, it also sounds like like this guy figured it out in one afternoon, but it sounded like from what you were saying, the people that kind of like could have blown the whistle earlier were making too much money on it. They so were like, making, yes. Yeah, so the, like this could have been stopped sooner, but people were making money on it. So people were like, oh, well, I'm w- kind of willing to look the other way as long as it works out for me. Yeah, that's... I mean, that's what it seems like, at least. No, that's exactly actually what happened. Like, for example, J.P. Morgan Chase Bank ignored any possible signs of money laundering activities in this multi-million dollar Chase account, which was being used to transfer funds to the London-based Madoff Securities International Limited, which some said existed only to convey an appearance of investing in British and other European securities. There was no investing yeah, exactly. On. Why why look too deeply into it if it's working out for you? Yeah, no one knew that they weren't taking place because as a broker dealer, the Madoff firm was allowed to book its own trades and so his employees were also allegedly instructed to create false records and fake monthly statements. And so his final account statements, for example, which included millions of fake page of, of millions of pages, excuse me, of fake trades, shady accounting, all of that showed the firm to have sixty four billion dollar in client assets in money. And it sounds so crazy because like he's doing like it seems like so much work to be doing this illegally. I feel like if you just put in the same amount of work to do it legally, you could have made the same money. Like, yeah. You could have, or not even the same money. I don't think he could have made the same money, but no, he like there's too much. He risk. could have been able to maintain his lifestyle. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it, so it showed the firm to have sixty four point eight billion dollars in client assets. Okay, uh-huh. and then forty seven billion dollars in quote unquote profit. Oof, that's not possible. Yeah, yeah. That's that's simply not possible. Um, but yeah, so. In 2000, he Markopoulos sends this this eight page memo. The SEC ignores it. He digs deeper, at which point he also learns that Bernie was applying for huge loans from European banks, which were seemingly unnecessary if Bernie's returns were as high as he was claiming. Yeah. But the biggest red flag according to Markopoulos himself, was that Madoff Securities was earning, quote, undisclosed commissions, end quote, instead of the standard hedge fund fee, which was 1% of the total plus 20% of the profits. Mm. So the bottom line, Markopoulos included, concluded, was that, quote, the investors that pony up the money don't know that BM is managing their money, end quote. Mm-hmm. And BM standing for Bernie Madoff. Yeah. So in 2000, a prominent Wall Street Weekly financial magazine called Barron's published an article that questioned Bernie's integrity, while Markopoulos continued to repeatedly just send evidence to the SEC to support these claims of of fraud, including in 2005, a detailed 21-page investigation titled, The World's Largest Hedge Fund is a Fraud. (laughs) Yeah. He's not wrong. 
In a scathing letter, also in 2005, to the SEC, Markopoulos wrote, quote, Madoff Securities is the world's largest Ponzi scheme. In this case, there is no SEC reward payment due to the whistleblower. So basically, I'm turning this case in because it's the right thing to do, end quote. Mm. And by the fall of 2005, shortly incidentally, after Bernie nearly went belly up due to a wave of redemptions that he needed to have the capital to pay out and very narrowly escaped getting caught. Yeah. There were other letters being sent by other people to the SEC about Bernie. Mm. So the this this 21 page investigative report by Markopoulos prompted the sec to launch an investigation into madoff in january 2006 mm-hmm. and a few months later in may 2006 they went to speak to him at his office and asked him for documentation on his trading accounts um later insiders told i think frontline that like he was physically like visibly nervous he was very agitated because he was so nervous he was like freaking the fuck out yeah um and madoff later admitted in his march 2009 confession that he lied through his teeth throughout this entire interview and he just made up a six a six-page list jesus of, of his trading accounts yeah so the sec drafted letters to two of the firms that he listed but they didn't even send them wow yeah so they so had they they could have confirmed whether or not like this shit was going on yeah and seen that the list was bogus and then realized this was a ponzi scheme but they didn't do that and henriquez later wrote quote the lie was simply too large to fit into the agency's limited imagination end quote mm. which like first of all dunk but it makes sense they were like why would he lie about that it's too why wouldn't he'd get he'd get caught no i'm saying from their standpoint like no that would be ridiculous like he would get caught blah 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 so ultimately the sec took no action they closed the case and cited in its final recommendation that it quote found no evidence of fraud end quote after bernie's interview and his voluntary production of the documents and that large accounting firms like that he willingly handed over the documents he didn't seem guilty or, or sus in the interview and yeah, then also sure large yeah large accounting firms like pricewaterhouse coopers kpmg and bdo sademan reported no signs of irregularities in their financial reviews they're big fucking firms going i don't see any anything up with my mm-hmm. money and if the big guys are not seeing anything up with their money, then surely the little guys can't be. Oh, Lord. So on September, everything's... He's he's rolling along just merrily as he goes. He buys a house in France. He does all of this shit. Um, on September 15th, 2008, prominent investment banking firm, maybe you've heard of it, Lehman Brothers Holdings Incorporated. It's a big fucking bank. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, they collapsed. Remember that? Yeah, we were we, but I remember it. I was there. Caused the stock market to immediately take a nosedive, and by November, the markets were down forty percent, and hundreds of hedge funds were shutting down or stopping allowing people from withdrawing, and all of that. Like everybody's freaking the fuck out. Yep. Except. For Bernie. Mm-hmm. During this period, 
Bernard L. Madoff Investment Securities LLC reported its year-to-date returns were still up, despite, you know, everything being on fucking fire. Yeah. Imagine and, that. Yeah, imagine that. Um, And they said that their returns were still up and some large hedge fund clients were then like, oh, wow, well, if his returns are still up, I'm going to invest even more money. Oh, God. Including money from their personal accounts. Hmm. Yeah. That didn't, like, fucking send anyone, like, red flags? Not a moo. Wow. Mm-mm. So then, Haley, things took a turn. Did they with this With this financial crisis going on. Can, can you guess how they took a turn? Um, I know you're going to tell me. I am, but do you want to guess? No. Okay. The feeder funds collapsed. <gasps> You'd been now, spoiling that for the whole episode. <laughs> I should have known. Once again, once again, as long as the feeder funds didn't collapse, they wouldn't have to worry about dun, being dun, unable dun. to keep this shit up. The f- other shoe has dropped. Yeah. So, again, Bernie funded people cashing in by attracting new investors and using their capital to pay out these other people. So if Haley gives me $20 and says, okay, I want my money back and she's expecting a 10% return or more, then I have to give her $22. So I have to go to, I'm going to pick a random name, Lucian, and be like, yo, you should invest $22 with me and I'll give you your money back. Yeah. More. So then I get Lucian's money. And give, and then- Lu- yes. Yeah. So the market, meanwhile, he's attracting these new investors, but the market takes a sharp turn for the worse during a little thing called the 2007 to 2008 global financial crisis. Mm. So he was then no longer able to keep up with this cascade of client redemption requests. Everybody yeah. wanted to cash out. And he had no way of paying them back. Yeah. So on November 25th, 2008, he told Ruth to make a wire transfer to withdraw $5.5 million from a Madoff-linked brokerage firm so that they could be sure that they had some money on hand when shit hit the fan. Because shit was about to hit the fan. Yeah. And he was like, we need to try to get out of this unscathed. So in early December, Bernie told a senior employee that of his investment firm that clients had requested seven billion dollars in redemptions that's a little bit yep and that's a little bit more than he has i'm gonna guess yeah and he was having trouble coming up with the cash to fulfill the withdrawals now guess what sell one of those houses seriously um tag your spoilers um it's actually funny too because i read in some accounts i'm not sure of like the extreme accuracy of this but i also in some accounts read that this senior employee of his was one of his sons and that his son was like what are you talking about and he Mm -hmm. was like we can't talk about this in the office because i'm going to fucking lose it like i'm not going to be able to keep it together and like they had to go back to his apartment and talk which on december 10th 2008 they did exactly that. Uh, Bernie confessed his crimes to his sons in his once again $7 million Upper East Side apartment, who at this point, his sons were senior employees at his firm. And wow. he said he was, quote, finished. 
that he had, quote, absolutely nothing, end quote, and explained that the business was, quote, all just one big lie, end quote, and, quote, basically a giant Ponzi scheme, end quote. Holy shit. So he fully loses it, comes clean. He estimated, they were like, what are we looking at here? And he estimated the fraud to be about $50 billion. Oh, that's like that's like a number that it's like, I can't fathom that number. Like, well, that's a fake number. Get ready for your mind to be fucking blown because prosecutors later alleged that actually the combined balance on client statements was closer to six four sixty four point eight billion dollars That's like a joke amount. That's, that's like, like $15 that's billion a- more. That's not a real number. I can't That's contemplate so fifteen billion. And this dude, it's fifteen billion more than he estimated. No, it's like he's like the thing is like, you know how they they give you that things like, can you imagine like a million dollars? Well, like a million dollars is like like a billion dollars is like X amount. Like, like they try to put it into like real context. Like I can't, I can't even understand it. I can't understand a single billion dollars. Yeah. No, I can't. I can't understand a million. I, like I, you'd I, have to like it's like the you'd have to um, make this amount of money per hour to make a million dollars in a certain amount of time. Well, you'd have to make this amount to get a billion. Like it's unfathomable. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fucking gross. Like for for comparison's sake, the 10th richest person in the world, Larry Page, who is the co-founder and board member of Alphabet, you know, fucking Google. Yeah. His net worth is $83.7 billion. So this is just like we'll round we'll round like 20 million 20 billion dollars less than this dude's net worth. That's a joke. I, I girl. Meanwhile, at her husband's request, Ruth withdrew another $10 million from the bank that same day. Fucking drop in the bucket, man. No, like, like padding their pockets. Yeah. Like, like he's like, better make that another 10. Yeah. Like, I'm telling our sons, we're going to need to hurry this the fuck up. Like, where so, do you think you're going to go, my dude? Like, well, <sighs> well. Bernie told his sons that he planned to surrender to the soror to the sorority. He planned to he he planned to pledge. Um, no, he planned to surrender to the authorities the follow like within a week in in a week, mm-hmm. and that first though he wanted to use the two hundred to three million dollars he had left three two hundred to three hundred million excuse me to pay certain employees as well as family and friends so you that think they the feds did not are going to come over. after that money. Wait. However, the following morning on December 11th, 2008, Mark and Andrew Madoff showed up at their father's apartment with the FBI. Yeah. Bernie later told Fishman, quote, the afternoon I told them all, they immediately left. They went to a lawyer. The lawyer said, you got to turn your father in. They went, did that, and then I never saw them again, end quote. Wow. After speaking to his sons at the door, the FBI knocked on the door and asked if there was an innocent explanation for all of this, to which he responded, no, it was, quote, one big lie, end quote. I mean, at least he's being uh, truthful now. Yeah, now. Um, now that he can't lie his way out of it. Because, um, again, I mean, remember, so- he, he, almost, he almost got caught in 2005. And you know what? Why didn't you just stop then? You already yeah. knew you were doing this for no reason. Like, you were literally doing it because you could. Yeah. So he was arrested, but then freed on a $10 million bond. And the following day, his assets were frozen. 
Yeah. But despite their Judas-esque betrayal of their father and the Scooby-Doo-like reality of this case that he would have gotten away with it, too, if it weren't for his meddling kids in that dumb recession, Bernie remained adamant that his sons were not aware of this scheme prior to his confession. I did the math. His sons were like 44 and 46, and they were senior people at this firm. Yeah, again, they were pro- they were making money from this. So why they, look into oh, they it? They owed him money. One of his sons owed him something like $22 million and the other one owed him like 9.8 million because he like helped them buy their homes and he helped them with like their families and stuff like that. So like they were in debt to their parents. Also, and if their you're parents a millionaire, had like none of this money. If you're a millionaire and like you you're going to like help your kids buy their homes, just buy them a home. Like you're yeah. a bil- you're not even a millionaire, like a billionaire. You're making like, money. Like, why wouldn't money. you just do that for your children? I don't know. I mm, whatever. I don't know. So, on December seventeenth, two thousand eight, Ruth surrendered her passport, and Bernie was placed on house arrest in their apartment and ordered to wear an electronic tag after failing to find anyone outside his family willing to guarantee his ten million dollar bail. Aw, like a little dog with like a little like a little electric st- collar. shock collar, yeah. Aw, um, but and again, the invisible like fence. I, I feel awful for him being stuck in his seven million dollar apartment in the Upper East Side. That must be really hard for him. Yeah, right. Um, as opposed to Shutter Prison. On December twenty third, two thousand eight, French aristocrat and hedge fund manager Thierry Thierry T H I E R R Y de la Viehouchette. Sure. Um, I think is how you pronounce it. I had it written down and I'm not understanding the phonetic spelling of my own notes. Um, Felix is now here. He is he has arrived. Um so he was trying to recover about one point five billion dollars in funds that he had invested with Madoff on behalf of wealthy Europeans, including Oof. the owner of L'Oreal, Lillianne Betancourt, who was yeah, good luck, the world's buddy. wealthiest woman. Um, he had been doing all of that. He was one of the people who also invested like personal funds after everybody but Madoff was seeing dips. In See, I don't the stock trust market. any. I don't trust any of those people. If there's one guy that didn't dip and the whole stock stock yeah. market did, guess what? It's illegal. It's that same. It's that same. Um, what? Do you- the cat jumped. <laughs> I have those back, please. Caitlin lost her headphones because the cat jumped and knocked them out of her ears. <laughs> We're keeping this in. She doesn't know it yet. I'm going to leave this in. I, <laughs> I already told them. To shame myself, but Felix I, just ripped my headphones out of my mic and walked away with them. Yes, walked I informed away with everyone. Uh, don't worry, I told everyone. Okay, thank okay. you. Thank you. That was I saw the, the whole thing happen. That's, that's staying in. Did you see the look on my face of just like yes. pure resignation? Utter, utter defeat. <laughs> um... That's what happens when you're a cat mother. <laughs> it's true. I was explaining this to my grandma today. Um, happy birthday, grandma. So that? he he also had invested his personal money into this. Um, Dummy. Which, yeah, again, like that like that analogy that um, Mar- Mar- Margopolis said. If this do it, like if he like you said, too, if he's the only one who is not seeing like. A, a, a any, any negativity in, yeah. in this he's cheating 
He's not yeah. playing the right game. So exactly. he's not smarter than everybody else. He's lying. Yes. So that's all to say, um, De La Vie he committed suicide. <gasps> yeah. So now there's blood on the hands. Um, yeah. And no, not not being glib when I say that. Um, Casey, uh, Markopoulos' friend. So yeah. he was a friend of De La Vie because he actually learned of the Madoff firm from him because he had invested so much money and so much of his like all these other people's money. Yeah. Um, that he was like, yo, did you hear about this? And that's so it's kind of technically through him that Marco Markopoulos even was looking into Madoff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Casey suggested that De La Via Huchet's slitting of his wrists was, quote, an act of atonement, watch himself bleed to death slowly, end quote. Wow. Ruth also later claimed in a 2011 interview on CBS that her husband and she attempted suicide after the fraud was exposed, both of them taking, quote, a bunch of pills, end quote, in a suicide pact on Christmas Eve 2008. But Jesus. that clearly did not work out for either of them because uh, oh. they are still. Well, she's I think she's still here. I actually didn't look up to see if she's still here because I, quite frankly, do not give a shit about her. Um, but on January 5th, 2009, prosecutors revealed that Bernie distributed one million dollars worth of jewelry and personal possessions to relatives and friends before, like, everything was frozen and all of that, which means he violated the order of freezing his assets. Like, he, yeah. he, like, gave it to them and then, like, they can give it back to him. It's a whole thing. But also, like, if you have been doing this illegal shit for so long... Um, you don't have a contingency plan in place. You don't have like an if I got like that's the ego thing again too. Mm -hmm. It's like you you never thought you were ever gonna get caught, even when you were already investigated one time. Like you don't have any type of contingency in place for like secret money or something like that. Like not that I'm supporting this guy. This guy's a fucking idiot. But like yep. nothing, dude. Yep. Yep. If you're gonna do something illegal, you have to have a backup plan. Uh huh. You're telling me. Whatever. I'm yeah. not even doing anything illegal. And I'm like, come on, dude. Yeah. Get your shit together. No. Just goes to show, like, you don't have to be a fucking genius to do this shit. You just have to be, like, sneaky. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. He then, or prosecutors then revealed um on january 8th so like three days later that bernie also had 173 million dollars in in signed checks in his desk when he was arrested which they argue showed that he was trying to keep assets from investors that he had frauded defrauded mm, okay um however judge ronald ellis still declined to send Bernie to jail and ruled instead on January 12th that he had to submit to mail searches while remaining under house arrest in his, I'll say it again, $7 million Upper East Side apartment. Yep. So as this investigation continued, financial services regulators revealed a few days after this ruling on January 15th that after going through all of his books, 40 years worth of records, Oof. 
Bernie never traded a single share on behalf of his clients' investments <sighs> in 40 years. He never wow. traded a single fucking thing. He didn't Jesus. even he didn't even try to phone it in. It the was gall. all the gumption, the testicular fortitude. It yeah. was it was all yeah, it was all a fucking lie, which like you know it's a lie, but you don't he think He said it. He didn't do a thing. Yeah, but like, he admitted to it. He's like, yeah, the entire thing is a lie. But like I you like you don't think you don't think you think there's got to be like one or two or something he's got he's family he's dumb. got friends Nah. yeah so on march 12 2009 at the age of 71 bernie madoff pleaded guilty to 11 federal felony uh, felony counts including securities fraud wire fraud mail fraud perjury and money laundering they just went through the legal books anything that said fraud they were like yep Ran Just charge him with that. Yep. In his statement, he insisted that his trading operation had been legitimate and that the fraud occurred solely on the investment advisory side of his business. He admitted his guilt and apologized to his victims, but didn't shed much light on how the fraud occurred, saying, quote, The essence of my scheme was that I represented to clients and prospective clients who wished to open investment advisory and investment trading accounts with me that I would invest their money in shares of common stock, options and other securities of large well-known corporations and upon request would return to them their profits and principal for many years up until i was arrested i never invested those funds in the securities as i had promised instead mm. those funds were deposited in a bank account at chase manhattan bank when clients wished to receive the profits they believed they had earned with me or to redeem their principal i used the money in the chase manhattan bank account that belonged to them or other clients to pay the requested funds end quote hmm in his appeal for bail two days later this is what i mean when i say you can be slimy and sneaky and pull something like this off you don't have to be a fucking rocket scientist yeah he appealed for bail while doing so he revealed his wife's huge fortune which was seized by u.s authorities on march 16th yeah he was like i've got bail money my wife has it yeah my dude she took it out right before i went to jail fucking stupid no it was even more than that According oh to God. a March 13th, 2009 filing, Bernie and Ruth Madoff were worth up to $126 million, plus Oof. an estimated $700 million for the value of his business interest in Bernard L. Madoff Investment Securities, LLC. Wild. Yeah. On June 11th, 2009, one of Bernie's victims, 65-year-old William Foxton, um, also committed suicide amid claims that he was unable to face the shame of losing his family's savings through oh. a Ponzi scheme. Jesus. Um, yeah. By June 16th, over 100 of Bernie's former clients had presented statements outlining the just utter devastation that had wreaked havoc on their lives to the federal yeah. judge presiding over the case, Judge Denny Chin. One of these was Cheryl Weinstein, the former chief financial officer of Hadassah, that Jewish, that global women's charity. Yeah. Um, she called Bernie a, quote, beast. 
and reported that as of 1997, Hadassah had invested a total of $40 million with the Madoff firm, and that by the end of 2008, it had withdrawn more than $130 million from its Madoff accounts, and contends its accounts were valued at $90 million at the time of Madoff's arrest. Mm. She also revealed in a memoir published in August, so two months later, titled Madoff's Other Secret, Love, Money, Bernie, and Me that she and Madoff had had an affair more than 20 years earlier to add insult to injury. Ooh. Yeah, he's got his wife doing the dirty work here, and he's got a little piece on the side. Of course he does. Finally, on June 29th, 2009, Judge Chin sentenced Bernie Madoff to 150 years in prison for his crimes, <laughs> which he called, quote, extraordinarily evil, end quote. And no, isn't the, I think... Uh, what's his face? Ariel Castro. I think he got three life terms plus a thousand years or something like that. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and this is up there in my opinion, like yeah. he ruined people's lives and those people who killed themselves, their blood is on his hands. Yeah. He should get fucking, what was it? $90 billion. That, uh, oh. No, that's what he, <laughs> he should get 90 billion years or whatever. If one for every dollar that he stole from people that he defrauded out of people. Well, it's funny you say that because Judge Chin also ordered him to forfeit $170 billion as restitution. Yeah. Which led U.S. Marshals to auction off three of his homes, his Palm Beach, yep. Florida mansion and oceanfront Bye. residence in Montauk, New York, which he purchased in 1980 for $250,000 or about <gasps> $900,476.33 today and his home in France. Bye. Have jewelry. Fun. I'm not even mm -hmm. done. So the houses, jewelry and four boats including because you need all four of them you need all gonna, four of them you're gonna go all four of them at once you're gonna you? sail all four in the prison yard a f it, this included a 55 foot or for our international listeners a 17 million or 17 meter I'm, 17 million i'm used to seeing the m's and the i'm thinking in the millions like yes the conversion <laughs> is wild um a 55 foot or 17 meter sport fishing yacht named bull Great. Why would you name them that? But yeah, so the the U.S. Marshals auctioned all of this off in September 2009 as part mm. of this this 170 billion in restitution. Yeah. And on July 29th, 2009, Bernie told a lawyer that he was quote amazed that he got away with it end quote for so long, and thought several times when meeting SEC officials that quote they got me end quote. Then why didn't you fucking stop at any point, my dude? Yep. Yep. Ruth who was not accused of any wrongdoing, was given $2.5 million to live off of. And that is it. Why? I don't know. But as of February 2016, she, live, she was renting a one-bedroom, 989-square-foot apartment in Connecticut. No more limos, just a Toyota Prius. And just is trying her best she keeps to herself she visits her grandchildren she really Change loves her name hopefully nope really loves library Ooh. books though um and that's a bold move not to change your name after something like that yep well she kind of had some issues with this um like she will we'll we'll get into it um so on March 18th, 2010, the Wall Street Journal reported that Bernie was assaulted by another inmate 
in December 2009. So three months after this assault happens, the Wall Street Journal gets wind of this and reports on it. Um, Mm. They said that the assailant was an inmate serving time for a drug conviction who believed Bernie owed him money, that he was a victim of this scheme. (laughs) Bernie kind of owed everybody money. Yes. Multiple sources. Yeah. Multiple sources, including a current inmate, a former inmate, and an employee of the prison, said that Bernie suffered a broken nose, fractured ribs, and cuts to his head and face. But in response to the report, the Bureau of Prisons spokeswoman, Denise Simmons, said, quote, we have no knowledge or information to confirm he was assaulted, end quote. Like, a literal turning of the blind eye. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone should be assaulted in prison no. yeah no one should be assaulted and, in prison. and like, this goes to show just chill, how but... fucked up the prison system is that like yeah because if they'll turn a blind eye for like bernie madoff what are they gonna do for like somebody more innocent yeah but bernie continuously even after this insisted that he acted alone however several of his colleagues like were immediately like nailed uh, six days after Bernie was charged, his accountant, David G. Freeling, was also charged with securities fraud, but it was later revealed that he had been unaware of a Ponzi scheme and that after cooperating with prosecutors, ultimately served no prison time. Hmm. In November 2011, former Madoff employee David Kugel pledged guilty to charges that arose out of the scheme, admitting to helping Madoff create a phony paper trail and the false account statements that were supplied to clients. Mm-hmm. Um, on November 11th, or excuse me, December 11th, 2010, um, the two-year anniversary of the day that Madoff's fraud was exposed and authorities went and arrested him at his apartment, um, Bernie and Ruth's elder son, Mark, committed suicide in his own apartment. Oh, my gosh. Um, yes. And it was at this point that what you were saying before, like, why didn't Ruth change her name and everything? After Mark killed himself, um, Ruth stopped visiting Bernie in prison. That was it for mm. her. She apparently threatened to file for divorce. She never made good on it. Um, mm. But she, if anybody wanted to speak to him, they would have to do it through her. But she never contacted him again. I that mean, was it. Yeah. Like they could have had like a fucking good life and like kids would have been great and everything. But yeah. And now her grandchildren are, and their grandchildren are without a father. They are without a son. Their yeah. other son was without a brother. Just because um, you couldn't live on a couple million dollars you needed to have. I can give him a master class on how to live on less. Like, I'm yeah, very right? I'm very good at it. Um, I know people who live on even less than that. Like, like it, I exactly, just, yeah. yeah. Um, and let's not forget also that several of Bernie's investors, like De La Viejuche, Vie I can't, I'm, I'm trying, but I'm not good at it. Um, like, De La Viejuche Vie and Foxton, they killed themselves. Um, yeah. Again, just so much blood on his hands. Meanwhile, mm. his other son, Andy, died of cancer at the age of 48 on September oh. 3rd, 2014. Um, so Ruth has no children left. Yeah. Uh, she's got grandchildren. That's it. Yeah. And on February 17th, 2022, Madoff's sister, 87-year-old Sandra Weiner, and her 90-year-old husband Marvin were both found dead with gunshot uh, found dead of gunshot wounds in their Boynton Beach, Florida home in what police believed to be a possible murder suicide. Hmm. And that brings us to Bernie Madoff himself. Whatever happened to this fucking guy? Well, in addition to suffering a heart attack in December 2013, 
On February 5th, 2020, his lawyers requested that he be released early from prison, claiming that he was suffering from a terminal kidney disease believed to be end-stage renal disease and chronic kidney failure, which would kill him within 18 months. Yeah. However, Bernie, who was otherwise known as prisoner number 61727-054, was... rolls off the tongue. Mm-hmm. 24601 who? <laughs> he was denied compassionate release and remained at the Butner Federal Correctional Complex in North Carolina, which is a minimum, a low minimum to medium security prison. Okay. Um, until he died in jail on April 14th, 2021, at the age of 82, in their medical infirmary thing. Did he really? That he was really that, did. That recent. April 14th, 2021. I don't remember that yeah. coming out or anything. Good. I don't know. Good. I also can't believe that this not happened. I can't believe that this happened in like the early 2000s. I don't know why I thought this happened in like the 80s or the 90s. Gordon Gecko. It's just... Yeah, that's guess, why just yeah wolf of wall street that's why yeah. yeah no think about it like the wolf of wall street because that's a true story we'll talk about it yeah. someday like he... henry zabrowski of last podcast on the left is in that movie is he really yes he is oh i didn't know that but they talk about it a lot on the podcast i i'm i <laughs> i i love you and i know and it's on my list i know this but I, my point is, the subject of that movie, Jordan Belfort, is a real person. Yes, he is. He pleaded guilty. He went to jail. All of that, like a decade, a little under a decade before Bernie fucking Madoff did. And like, just yep. think about that. Think about that. So, yeah. And this wasn't like on people's minds to be like, be aware of something like no. this ever happening again. But th this no. guy got caught and Bernie Madoff and his idiocy didn't get caught yet. Like, girl. So, yeah. Yeah. So, but Bernie made off losing everything and, and spending the rest of his life in jail doesn't discount. Honestly, to me, it seems like a far easier punishment. Um, what the thousands of victims of this scheme had to endure, like they lost their life savings. They yeah. like, like, again, whether or not this actually did happen to my grandmother, I do know for a fact, like she lost all of her money. Yeah. My, 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 like, I like. It shouldn't matter because it happened to someone you know and love, but it when it does, it's just that it's that it much. Worse. Like, a little old yeah. lady, like think about all of the little old ladies. Like she's gonna she's gonna fucking call me and reach through the phone and bop me on the head for calling her a little old lady. But so a New York lawyer who was tasked with overseeing the liquidation of Bernie's firm in bankruptcy court, Irving Picard, no relation. Um, I know you're thinking Star Trek, no relation. Um, I was. <laughs> he began assisting these victimized investors by suing those who profited from the Ponzi scheme. Mm -hmm. By April 2021, he had recovered nearly $14 billion. Woo! Yeah. In addition, a Madoff Victim Fund, MVF for short, was created in 2013 to help compensate the, the people Bernie defrauded. But the Department of Justice didn't start paying out any of the roughly $4 billion in the fund until late 2017. And mm. a former SEC chair overseeing the fund, Richard Breeden, noted that thousands of the claims were from, quote, indirect investors, end quote. So basically those people put money into funds that Bernie had invested in during this scheme. Yeah. So they didn't even, that's what I mean when I was saying, like, 
the big guys weren't seeing a big thing out of this. It was the little guys that were getting fucked. Yeah. So since they weren't direct victims, Breeden and his team had to sift through thousands and thousands and thousands of these claims only to reject many of them because he said he based most of his decisions on a single rule. Did the person yeah. in question put more money into Bernie's funds than they took out? And he estimated the number of feeder investors was over 11,000 people. Wow. Yes. So these big, these giants are making all of this money on the backs of 11,000 plus people, little yeah. people. So in a 2021, September 2021 update for the Madoff Victim Fund, Breeden wrote, quote, MVF is thrilled to announce a new distribution totaling $568,648,065 to 30,539 victims of the crimes committed at Madoff Securities. Wow. Measured by the number of victims paid, this is our largest distribution yet, end quote. Mm -hmm. So with the completion of what is what was the seventh distribution of funds in September 2021, approximately $3.762 billion has been distributed to 39,494 Madoff victims in the United States and around the world. Jeez. Breeden also noted that by that point, they had recovered 81.35% for victims. That's not nothing. No, it's not That's nothing. a lot. Yeah. Um, and to get into the pop culture side of things, Bernie Madoff has been depicted as a financial villain in the media and pop culture almost exclusively. Like, after all, he, like, I mean, well, all right, listen. Among the victims he defrauded, Steven Spielberg and his Ooh. DreamWorks co-founder Jeffrey Katzenberg. Yeah. Kevin Bacon and Kira Sedgwick. Mm. John Malkovich. Larry mm. King. Zsa Gabor. Like he, 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 there were a lot of people that got got in this. Yeah. And so as an example of pop culture, just fucking wailing on this guy in the season seven finale of Curb Your Enthusiasm on HBO, which aired on November 22nd, 2009. So this is fresh. This is like less than a year after he got arrested. Yeah. Um, Jason Alexander. So it's like a Seinfeld reunion sort of, sort of thing. Like, show within a show thing um jason alexander reprised his role as george costanza on seinfeld and there was this plot line about how his character was swindled by bernie madoff himself and lost all of his earnings from a fictional app he invented called iToilet, which directed users to the nearest public toilet anywhere in the world because for those who have seen seinfeld that was like george's talent is he could find the nearest public toilet yeah um so the episode has a 9.2 out of 10 on IMDb with nearly 2,000 ratings, which is big for an episode of a TV show. Yeah. Um, and you can watch it along with all the rest of Curb Your Enthusiasm on HBO Max or wherever you get your HBO. Yeah. And on February 3rd and 4th, 2016, the ABC miniseries Madoff premiered starring Richard Dreyfus and Blythe Danner as Bernard and Ruth Madoff. Mm -hmm. And the miniseries has a 7.4 out of 10 on IMDb with 2,500 ratings, an 81% Google score, and a 68% tomato meter rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. Um, yeah. So it was well received. And in May 2017, Bernie was played by Robert De Niro 
and Ruth was played by Michelle Pfeiffer in the HBO film The Wizard of Lies, which was based on Henriquez's best-selling book of the same name, The Wizard mm-hmm. of Lies. The TV movie was nominated for a slew of awards, including three Primetime Emmy Awards, Outstanding Lead Actor in a Limited or Anthology Series or Movie for De Niro, Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Limited or Anthology Series or Movie for Pfeiffer, and Outstanding Television Movie, and two Golden Globes for Best Actor in a Miniseries or Television Film and Best Supporting Actress for De Niro and for Pfeiffer, respectively. Mm -hmm. The movie has a 6.8 out of 10 on IMDb with 26,000 ratings. Whoa. Yeah. A 78% Google score and a 73% tomato meter rating. It's time to feed my cats. A 73% tomato meter rating on Rotten Tomatoes with a 63% audience score and the critics consensus, quote, The Wizard of Lies doesn't really shed much new light on its fact-based story, but thanks to solid direction and a talented cast, it still proves constantly watchable, end quote. Mm. And if you would like to constantly watch it, you can via... You guessed it. Wherever you get your HBO. Yay. Yay. Several other works have also featured Bernie Madoff in describing his fraud and subsequent demise. Hard rock band Chevelle's 2011 song Face to the Floor is, as described by the band, a, quote, pissed off, angry, end quote, song about people who got defrauded by Madoff's Ponzi scheme. Um, Or No, excuse me pissed off a a, quote pissed off angry end quote song about quote people who got taken by the ponzi scheme that bernie madoff had for all those years end quote Mm. there that's the right so in 2010 deb morgan's play imagining madoff premiered telling the story of an imagined encounter between madoff and his victims however the play generated controversy when ellie visel remember his foundation he was one of the people who got defrauded and his foundation um he was originally portrayed as a character in the play, and he threatened to take legal action, which forced Margolin to substitute his character with a fictional character, Solomon Galkin. Mm. I think I think I spelled Margolin wrong in the first one, and I put Deb Morgan. I'm sorry, Deb. Um, other fictional works and characters have also been inspired by Bernie, such as a couple who are involved in a similar scandal in Woody Allen's 2013 film Blue Jasmine, and that's as much as I'm going to say, because, you know, mm-hmm. if you know, you know. And then Eleanor Lippmann's 2013 novel The View from Penthouse B, the protagonist loses her divorce settlement because she invested it with Bernie Madoff. And then Randy Susan Myers' 2017 novel The Widow of Wall Street is a fictionalized account of the Madoff Ponzi scheme from Ruth's point of view. Mm -hmm. Um, or from the wife's point of view. I don't know actually if it's Ruth, but I think it is. Um, There have also, of course, been multiple documentaries made about the case, such as the 2011 documentary Chasing Madoff, which described Harry Markopoulos's efforts to unmask this fraud. Um, That is available to watch on Tubi, which, hell Mm -hmm. yeah, we love, we stand. And it has a 6.2 out of 10 on IMDb, an 80% Google score, and a 46% tomato meter rating on Rotten Tomatoes with a 44% audience score. And the critics' consensus, Chasing Madoff admirably highlights, or quote, Chasing Madoff admirably highlights Mar- Harry Markopoulos's perilous crusade against one of history's biggest frauds, but the documentary's disinterest in Madoff himself makes it feel like only half the story, end quote. I don't know. All right. You do you. It's available on Tubi. It's available, I think, on Prime maybe as well. 
but definitely free on Tubi. And I don't know. I'd be interested in learning more about it. Yeah. Why not? Um, yeah. Like, like, I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm kind of into it. Like I believe uh, Marco Polos also wrote a book, which that's what this documentary is based on. And the book is titled No One Would Listen, which. Okay. Yeah. No one yeah. would listen. Give this man his flowers. Anyway. Then next up, we've got the 2013 documentary In God We Trust, which focused on Eleanor Squillary, who was Madoff's secretary for 25 years. And it's about her search for truth about the fraud. It has a 7.6 out of 10 on IMDb. And I could not find somewhere that you could watch it. But if you want to watch it, you can watch it. Brad Garrett. Brad Garrett is in it um from from you know fucking uh everybody loves raymond yeah um i miss everybody loves raymond anyway (laughs) that this isn't about everybody loves raymond um also the 2021 docudrama a kaddish for bernie madoff which was created by musician slash poet alicia joe rabins and directed by alicia j rose tells the story of Madoff and the system that allowed him to function for decades through Rabins's eyes, who watched mm-hmm. the financial crash from her ninth floor studio in an abandoned office building on Wall Street. Um, wow. Yeah. That you can rent to watch. Um, it's kind of like a musical memoir slash narrative fantasy, according to the docudrama's website. Yeah. Um, and it has a 5.3 out of 10 on IMDb. And you can rent it pretty much anywhere okay but most recently literally just a few weeks ago on january 4th 2023 netflix released the four episode docuseries and i want to put this out here now i did not plan for this to happen i was like when is grandma's next birthday that we can like do this on and i was like yeah this has been on the list this has been on the list for a while it's been here for a minute netflix literally just released the four episode docuseries made off the monster of wall street directed by None other than the true crime documentarian of the hour. The true crime documentarian of our, our, Joe Berlinger. Always Joe Berlinger. Always Joe Berlinger. A darling of the true crime section of Netflix. A documentary darling. And sure enough, he remains to be a documentary darling. Um, This, it's four parts. Um. This series has a 7.3 out of 10 on IMDb, a 91% Google score. Wow. An 88% tomato meter rating on Rotten Tomatoes with a 77% audience score. Well, damn. I know. He did it again. He always doing it. He done did Joe it Berlinger, again. Man. Joe Berlinger, man. And so, yeah, you can watch it on Netflix, obviously. And that's all we wrote. Yeah. By we, I mean me. I mean the cats helped, but of course they did. That's so fascinating. I, I have heard. Obviously, I've heard the name, uh, Bernie Madoff for like my whole adolescence. Existence, yes. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Uh, see, like again, it seems much longer than I would have remembered. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I guess I didn't like look too fucking deep into that. I knew he did financial bad stuff, but. Yeah. Uh, I didn't never knew all the details, but wow. Yeah. What a piece of shit. He sucked. And he made off uh, with other people's there money. There we go again. I, I, I had to do it twice. He shouldn't have been named that. Maybe if he was named like, I don't know, not a fraud, 
burning out a fraud works for me like sure, why not? think about it harry markopolis it kind of looks like marco polo what do you do you go marco polo you find uh-huh. that bitch he found that bitch yeah so like i'm just saying the names they, names they mean something they mean something they mean something stop naming your children after fighter jets okay. it benefits no one especially the child it's true mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all right well um our website is crimeculturepodcast.tumblr.com we also have facebook instagram twitter patreon um and we have a discord we you do. gotta message us for the invite link message us on any of our social medias just dm us you can also email us at crimeculturepod at gmail.com we will send you the link we have fun over there um and I think that's it. Next week is the last episode of the month. It's our Patreon pick. Mm-hmm. Um, so join us for that. Patrons, go vote. Patrons, go vote so we know what we're talking about. <laughs> and uh, we'll see you next Tuesday. No, we won't. I have my my warm fuzzy or whatever we're calling it. <laughs> oh, yes, I forgot. You have your, your and I was uh, prepared palate cleanser. this time. I was prepared. Okay, tell me your palate cleanser. Um, all right. This one's for my for my um music my music buddies. If anybody okay. is anybody that likes music, if anybody likes music, if anybody is looking for new music, um, I got new music for you. And Tell me about it. That would be Renee Rapp's new album, Everything to Everyone. Um, okay. I love it. I think it's delightful. Haley, you would know Renee Rapp because she was um regina george in the mean girls musical and will be playing okay reprising her role in the mean girls musical musical movie, movie. that is coming okay. out that Haley did not believe me when i told her it was coming and i was like no girl it is and then they announced it and Haley was like what the fuck why would they do this and i was like I, I tried to it. warn you i tried to warn you it does it does make a little like it does make me like a little like excited like i kind of really want to see but renee rap it's it's a great it's a really great album. I'm a big fan of the album. Um, I'm a fan of hers. I was a fan of hers before that. You also may know her from the Sex Lives of College Girls on HBO, which is another mm-hmm. great show that you should watch. Um, it's not really true crime based, but I like it. That's um, right. That's what the the palate cleansers are. They're yeah. not supposed to be true crime based. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. Check that out. And fuck it. This is my warm fuzzy. Rina Sawayama. Check her out, too. I'm a fan. All right. I'm a fan of all of these, but yeah, just listen to some music. Check your ego, go to therapy, and we'll see you next Tuesday. Now. Okay, bye. Now. All right. Bye. Bye.